Hello and welcome to The Crashdown. My name is CJ and today I'm talking about The Convention. And it's about just that. There's an alien convention at the UFO Center. And Max is working it in a giant green alien suit. He's got those big black eyes and the oversized veiny green head in this kind of space suit. And he's handing out flyers. And it is a veritable collection of cosplayers. People are decked out in all sorts of alien and alien hunter gear. But Max can't be bothered with any of that. He just keeps staring at Liz, who seems to be serving people outside on a little patio, I guess, or just tables set up on the street across from all this chaos. But I guess if your restaurant is called The Crashdown, yeah, people would be wandering across the street from the UFO Center to eat there. And speaking of freaks who want to eat there, we have our couple, Jennifer and Larry, from the very first episode. Do you remember that couple that came in and was the witness to Liz's shooting? The one who swore that the bullet disappeared and that Max did something to her? Well, they are back in town for this convention, and they're back at the crashdown. Liz is very nervous. She's trying to play it off like she doesn't even recognize them. But she has these immediate flashes back to the day when Max saved her life. This couple clearly recognizes her, though, because Larry, the guy, is acting so weird. He just keeps repeating things and prompting his girlfriend, I guess, to say the same. And when Liz asks him what she can get him, he replies, Oh, one of those shakes that you're so famous for. I think I'll get the alien encounter. And when she asks if there's anything else, he says, Yes, I want the truth about what really happened that day in September. <gasps> oh no. And this is going to be an ongoing thing in Liz's story this week. She's going to have to be fending off this couple who are now more hyped up than ever because of this sighting that happened in the last episode. All of these people have rushed to this town like a mecca. Good old Sheriff Valenti isn't too happy about this chaos. You see him and Deputy Hansen talking about what the story is going to be for the tourists. Not that Hansen thinks it's anything real, but they're not supposed to give anything away on an ongoing investigation, so he's told to repeatedly say that it was nothing but dry lightning. That's what that flash in the desert was. That's what that flash was that everyone saw. Dry lightning. There's no need to set off all these freaks with unsubstantiated rumors. Now, he might have been able to play this story off if it wasn't for the creepy man lurking in his dark office. When Sheriff Valenti gets into work, there's a man named Hubble sitting in his chair in the dark, and it's clear that these two characters have some sort of history. This Hubble character actually calls Valenti Jr., and you later learn that he knew Sheriff Valenti's father. I don't think it was in a very good way, though, because Valenti wants this guy out of town. This man is a bona fide alien hunter. Now, you'd almost think that Sheriff Valenti would want someone on his side, but this is the man that pushed his father down that path. He's not quite ready to make that same mistake. 
Anyways, back at the UFO Center, it seems that everyone is turning up. Isabel's there, and she is not impressed by what she sees. Michael is trying to interview anyone and everyone that he can. He's searching for the truth. He's searching for his purpose in life. And with all these quote-unquote experts here, now's the perfect chance. And there's so many people asking these questions, it doesn't seem suspicious. He's just a local who wants to know more about this town's history. Isabel isn't impressed. She finds this whole thing psychologically damaging, especially when she sees her brother come down in this green alien costume. Uh, she's like, that just removed what little dignity they had left. Isabel takes off, but Michael wants Max to point him in the direction of the real guys. But there aren't any real experts there. Max actually needs Michael's help, though. He cannot get his mind off Liz. Every time that he sees her, it's like she's moving in slow motion. And he needs to know how to make it stop. How did Michael deal with Maria? And he comes up with a brilliant solution. And that solution is mud. You've got to think about mud. Michael says you can't be led around by your energy source. You've got to take back that power. If that girl is going to be alluring, then you have to think about mud. The other way to get your mind off the girl is to throw yourself into something else. And with this convention in town, Max decides to ask his boss, Milton, if there's anything else he can do. Milton is always so impressed by him. He's such a go-getter. He's so curious. He's such a hard worker. So he says, absolutely. He'll be basically the celebrity liaison. And I mentioned again in that pilot episode, we had Riker himself, he's back, sort of playing himself, and he's acting like a total diva. When Max has to step into this role, he has to keep this guy happy. And he's a celebrity, but they keep making references to Shatner, Nimoy, Stewart, and they're the ones that have the sweets. And here, Jonathan is like, Hmm, why don't I have a suite? And Max is like, well, I think there's only two at the hotel. Well, motel. They don't even have the money for a hotel. It's a motel. But I'm just going to call him Riker, you guys. He'll always be Riker to me. He's like, well, then you take care of it. Max kind of doesn't follow the prompts, but he'll move him to another motel. If there is one in town. While he's dealing with all this chaos... Milton actually introduces him to Hubble as well and says that this guy is the real deal. He basically had disappeared 30 years ago, but they said he was on the trail of an alien, that he had actually made contact, but he's secretive. He doesn't say anything to anyone, and it's kind of a miracle that he's even in this what he calls souvenir shop because he knows, too, none of this garbage is real. Aliens can look like any one of us. And here you get a little sneak peek into what Hubble thinks aliens are. They could look like Max or himself. He thinks that the aliens are shapeshifters. So just because you've seen an alien before doesn't mean you'll be able to recognize them the next time. Not unless you know what to look for. Now, one more major attraction that's happening at this convention is... Oh! What's that? Amy DeLuca's business. That's right, it's time for her business of alien tchotchkes to shine. 
And part of the way that I guess she makes sales is through shows. She is running a section, it's not a booth, I guess it's an event, called Alien Takedown, which is basically just a wrestling match. Maria is there helping her set up, and when Michael comes by, he is highly offended. He's tired of all these kooks and freaks, and that's when Amy DeLuca walks up. Well, it's nothing personal, but this business keeps them off the streets. You find out that half of her annual income is tied up in this event, so wow, this is either the most popular thing there or they're really living hand to mouth with no extra money at all. Maybe that's why Maria has to work so hard. Maybe that's where all her tips go. You don't see her splurging very often except when she's having a bit of a diva moment. Maria's a little upset by this exchange though because Michael obviously didn't make a very good impression. He's like, well, why would I want to make a good impression? Oh, buddy, it's because it's her mom. She wants her mom to like you. Her and her mom are super close. And even though they have a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy, it's working for them. Now, between dressing up like an alien and dealing with these celebrities, it's also Max's job to sit at this information desk where he gets to be grilled by passing tourists. He also has a perfect view of the entrance, though. And that's when he notices Liz walking in, and he can tell because everything's in slow motion again. She just came by to ask about the lunch they're catering, but also, secretly, to let him know that this couple is back in town and asking questions, and the girl has basically just decided to camp out at the restaurant. She keeps sitting in this booth and basically not leaving. Max doesn't hear a word she's saying, though. It's that kind of soap opera filter on her face and the wind through her hair, and you can kind of hear the words in the distance, and that's when he blurts out, mud, and she's like, excuse me? And he's like, oh, mud pies, mud pies for the event tomorrow. Do you think you could get those? She's like, all right, okay, but the whole suspicious couple thing? Are we going to do anything about that? But nope. Guess what? He's going to pull a max again. And as we all know, that means passively sitting back and doing nothing. As per usual. Now, when I said Jen was camped out at the crashdown, I meant it. She's still sitting in that booth, ordering cup after cup of coffee. When Liz asks her if she's had enough, this girl is looking all wired and jittery, plus her eyes are bloodshot red. And that's when Jen kind of breaks down. Apparently, things aren't going too well between her and Larry. You see, before they passed through Roswell in September, they had gotten engaged, and they were supposed to be on a two-week road trip out to California. But ever since that fateful day, Larry has been obsessed with UFOs. He's made it his mission, and they've been traveling around the country looking for the truth. She just wants to settle down. She wants a guy that's normal. Liz kind of lets it slip that that's what she's looking for, too, that Max isn't really... <gasps> she said too much. Anyways, ever since Hubble showed up into town, Valenti has been struggling. It was clear these two men had tension... But we get to learn a bit more about what happened. Why was his father disgraced? Why did he believe this alien mumbo-jumbo? As a typical law enforcement officer, he goes back to the files. 
he has a giant box of his dad's stuff, and he starts going through the papers. That's when we see these newspaper clippings of a shooting in a silo. There was a murder, and his father was arrested under suspicion. This is obviously bringing up a lot of issues for Valenti, and he confronts Hubble again, telling him to get out of town, not just as the sheriff, but as a man, as the son of a good cop who was pushed too far. But the thing is, Hubble's the only one that has answers. Hubble was there the day of that shooting, when a drifter was killed out in this silo. And if he wants answers, Sheriff Valenti better let him stick around. Valenti's still bitter, though. This is the man that pushed his father over the edge. He still can't understand why his dad believed him. He ends up deciding to go straight to the source, though, and go back to that old folks' home, mental institution, whatever it is where his father is staying, and he asks him what happened that day. It's hard to tell what kind of answers you're getting from the father, though, because he says he didn't do it, and that the real problem was that Hubble couldn't get over his wife and child. But as far as Valenti knew, he was never married. At first that raises some questions, but then his father goes on to say that he's freezing and that they're trying to kill him. I love the patience you get from Jim Valenti, though, that he just, there's an afghan on his father's lap and he just pulls it up to warm him. And I wish he had been like that the whole time. Why did it take suspecting aliens to be real for you to reconnect with your father? Oh, it's so sad. Without any real answers to satisfy his curiosity, Sheriff Valenti makes the choice to go back to Hubble. And that's when Hubble decides to share his findings. Compared to him, Valenti's a weekend enthusiast. He's dedicated 30 years of his life to tracking down these murderous aliens. And he shows there hasn't been one or two. There have been what could be dozens of murders. And he starts showing Jim all of these photographs of corpses with silver handprints on them. Now there's only one photo that he took himself. The others he's acquired through various means, probably just paying off some morgue attendant. But the recurring thing is that these handprints disappear after a few hours or days. So proof isn't left behind. That's why he has to be constantly on the trail. Valenti, being the kind man he is, wants to know who these victims are. But Hubble says it's not important. What's important is that this creature is still out there and they need to stop it. He tells Valenti that his father wasn't crazy. He was trying to do the right thing that night. He just pulled the trigger on the wrong man. He lets it slip that he thinks these aliens are shapeshifters, so the person he's chasing might not look the same now. The reason that he's back, though, besides that flashing light in the sky, is that he heard about the incident at the crashdown, and he starts asking, could it be Max? Valenti's silent for a minute, and then he says, maybe. Hmm... That's going to be trouble. On to a happier storyline for a moment, though. At this convention, Max is still working away. He's having to deal with Riker, who is kind of upset because it seems like none of the other celebrities showed up. So he's having to do meet and greets. He's having to 
make those handprints in the concrete. And Milton keeps trying to play it off like, oh, the reason we don't have anyone else is because you're our number one. Because this guy seems to have a giant ego. And I love when actors can poke fun at themselves. Like James Vanderbeek in Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. The show itself was just okay. But James Vanderbeek playing himself was priceless of being this spoiled star. I don't know what it is about that. But I love when actors acknowledge the tropes in Hollywood. Things just keep seeming to go wrong, though, because when Riker goes to put his hands in the concrete, it's still soaking wet, and he basically goes in, like, elbow deep. (laughs) And watching this guy's rage is hilarious. Oh my goodness. But one of the other tasks that Max has been given from Milton is to try and convince Hubble to stay around town. Milton is sure that Hubble has made contact with aliens. He's on the trail, and he's probably already found one. And wouldn't that make a great addition to their roundtable discussion? So now that's Max's agenda, is trying to convince this alien hunter to stay in town. And it doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job until they have one of these panels, and again, Riker is hosting it, And all these experts are talking about what a first-hand encounter would actually be like. And they're interviewing the audience about their experiences. And that's when Larry steps up. He starts sharing his experience back in September. And Max is kind of standing in the back. Michael's there. And he can't let anything happen. So he walks up, puts his hand on Larry's shoulder, and walks away. And he's done his classic itching prank again. So as Larry's telling this story... I was in a diner, this girl was shot, the guy who saved her is here right now. He's scratching himself like a monkey all over his body and his head, his glasses are disheveled, his hair is sticking up. So even though what he's saying is the truth, he looks like a total crazy person and he keeps saying like, boom, then this happened and boom, then that happened. So when they kind of escort him out, Milton and Max have to actually drag him out of this auditorium. He's screaming, it was him, he did it, he's right here. Riker's just like, boom, sure it was. Now, most of the people don't take this seriously, except for Hubble, who already had his suspicions about Max, and now this guy who had a very reasonable explanation. He looks just like us. He made a bullet disappear. Hmm, maybe there is something to this story after all. The other thing I mentioned happening at this convention as well was Amy DeLuca's alien takedown. As we know, half her annual revenue is tied up in this project, but one of her wrestlers, Eddie, backed out at the last second. Apparently, last year, he broke two of his ribs trying to take on this massive wrestler, and he is absolutely not going to do it. Amy's freaking out, Maria's distressed, but Michael's overheard this problem, and he actually ends up stepping in to save the day. We don't get to see it, but he wrestled with this guy, and I think he might have lost, but it doesn't matter. The fight happened, and her business is saved, and that's when Amy's like, oh, bless you, child. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He finally made a good impression, and Maria is so impressed by this. She can't believe that he would do this for her, and then she starts going into slow-mo. She's leaning towards him. It looks like they're going to kiss, and they do. And then Michael just pulls back abruptly, mud. And Maria's just like, what? 
Michael's like, I'm thinking about mud. And then he collapses down on the mat. And you can just see Maria like, why do I try? Why do I bother with this guy? Every time it seems like he's doing something sweet, he just blows it like that. The other person absolutely blowing it with their crush is Alex. He's been clinging around Isabel this whole convention, trailing after her like a puppy dog, and he keeps having his cover blown because he's like, oh, fancy bumping into you here. But then Maria walked by of like, oh, good, you found Isabel. He was looking for you. Now, after the conversation of last week, Isabel doesn't want him to be so attentive. So when he ends up showing up at her house, after walking around her block a few times, she has to say something. He just bought her this book about constellations and thought maybe they could go out together some night and give it a try. But no, Alex, it's too much. She can't breathe. It's like you're suffocating her. Oh, I feel so bad for him in this moment. He just really likes her and doesn't know how to show it or express it. And if she was any other girl and he was being this sweet, I think they would love it. But Isabel has these walls that we've talked about in the past. She's not ready to let someone in like that. Alex is an all or nothing kind of guy. So guess what? He's going to go. The last thing he'd want to do is suffocate her. Ugh. It's so sad. To try and drown out these sorrows, he goes to the crash down and he orders an orange soda on the rocks, which I think is hilarious. But all of these women are kind of commiserating there. We've got Maria and Amy. We've got Liz, who's sad about Max, Alex, and then we've even got Jen in the background. And they're all kind of complaining about, are all guys obsessive? Sure, they pick one thing and then can't let it go, like UFOs. And... All of them are kind of venting, and Alex is like, but what if a guy is obsessed with the girl? And they all basically just laugh in his face like, yeah, right, that'll happen. And it's just that they're all picking the wrong people right now. They're going for someone who's so different from themselves. Because I understand that's intriguing. You want to understand their way of life. But you have to have an underlying compatibility to make anything last. From here on out, though, the episode gets pretty dark. The tone gets much more serious, the fun, light-hearted banter of Riker, the wacky costumes and alien takedown has all been dealt with. Now we have to face Hubble. Valenti kept a copy of those pictures, and his work ethic isn't going to go out the window just because this is an alien. He's studying them, and even though he can't identify the victims from a photograph, some of them dozens of years old, he does see a license plate in the background of one of the pictures, and when he goes to look it up, he sees the name. Sheila Hubble. Maybe his dad was right after all. Here's a woman living right in the area. Maybe this was Hubble's wife. Maybe that's what his dad was talking about when he said that Hubble couldn't get over it. If this woman was dead, well, that's a reason to become obsessed right there. That's a reason to throw all rational thought out the window. The scariest part is, though, Max has no idea that any of this is even happening. He's still trying to do his job for Milton. He's still trying to convince Hubble to stay. After that little demonstration at the panel, though, Hubble's curiosity is piqued. And he says, you know what, Max? You won me over. I will do that round table. But, oh, all my materials are back at my house. And 
My car just happened to be in the shop. It broke down on my way into town. Hmm. Car accident? On Roswell? No, couldn't be. Max is just happy that he agreed, though, so he offers to drive Hubble to his house to get whatever he needs. This is going to be a real score for the UFO Center. So the two of them get in Max's car and head out into the desert. And Max is going to use this as a time to question him. Milton said this guy might have actually had contact. So he's going to try and ask him. Hubble, though, seems to be in his own world. He's asking his own questions. He's talking about how great it is to go on a drive in the evening. Isn't it so nice when you get to share that with someone special? He starts getting more and more erratic as he goes into this story. He starts talking about the last time he came out this way. And you actually get a flashback. It's black and white to Hubble driving his wife. It was their anniversary and he had a surprise for her. She told him she had a surprise for him too. But his surprise was fireworks. He had bought some from an Indian on the side of the road. His words, not mine. But partway out on their drive, he realized he had forgotten matches. So they pulled into this little place called Pepper's Diner, and he went inside. The only thing was he forgot any money, and he didn't want to have to run out to the car and make a fool of himself. So he asked the guy, please, man, don't make me go back out there. And the shopkeeper ends up tossing the pack of matches at him, saying it's on the house and to have a good time. But he didn't, and he'd never have a good night after that. You see, when he went outside, a drifter was trying to take the car and shot his wife. That's who he was after. That's who he convinced Valenti's dad to shoot, this drifter. He was convinced it was the alien. Now, it might have been a mistake. It obviously wasn't since he's been tracking someone since then. But he's found him now. And he makes Max pull over at the side of the road and actually pulls a gun on him. You may have changed your face, but I know who you are. And Max is there, terrified, like, well, he is an alien, but I, I'm not him. I didn't do this. Hubble is so far gone, though, he's totally delusional. He's talking to himself more than he's talking to Max. And no matter what, he, I feel like he doesn't even care if this is the wrong guy. He's just going to kill everyone until he gets the right guy. Valenti, though, armed with this new information, goes back to his dad. And his dad shed some light on the situation, telling him about this drifter, telling him that it was Hubble that shot him. And whether his dad covered or whether they didn't believe him, I don't know, but he took the fall for what Hubble did. And that's when his dad looks right at him and gets very lucid for a second. Jimmy, whatever you do, don't trust him. So now Valenti's worried. He realizes that Max has gone off with him and needs to do something. At this Pepper's Diner in the middle of nowhere, Max still has this gun pointed at him. And he knows. He says, Valenti told me about the handprint. I know it's you. And it looks like he's right about to pull the trigger. When Michael shows up yelling at him, he cornered Larry to ask what the heck was going on. And when he found out that Larry told Hubble everything, or at least everything he knew, Michael knew he was in trouble. So they end up trying to wrestle him to the ground. They get the gun out of his hand. Max uses his powers to send the gun skittering through the sand. And then Hubble freaks out even more, like, I knew it, I knew it. And if you weren't 100% sure before and you were just going to stone cold kill this guy, 
Yikes, man, you've got problems. Get some therapy or something. And that's when the sheriff shows up. In the chaos, Hubble gets his gun back and he points it right at Max. And he yells at Valenti, Your father didn't have what it takes to shoot me and neither do you. And then, bang! Valenti, boom, pops him one. Thank goodness he's finally making the right choice. He's finally siding with good over this need for some truth that he thinks is out there. He apologizes. He didn't know Hubble was going to do this. He didn't know he was as dangerous as he was. But Max has lost his cool at this point. He was almost murdered. And so he starts yelling at him. What did you tell him about me? Why are you doing this? Why are you hunting me? Why did he come after me? Look, I'm right here. If you want me, do it. Michael keeps trying to hold him back, but Max has had it. He doesn't want to have to keep looking over his shoulder like this. If the sheriff wants to say something, just effing say it. Valenti's trying to calm the situation down. Oh, well, son. Max is like, I'm not your son. Would you treat your son this way? I think that is one of the most powerful lines of this episode. Would you treat your son this way? No, absolutely not. And he would not want anyone else to treat his son this way either. That's when you see these wheels start clicking. What the hell has he become? He's supposed to be protecting them. And Max says that. He's the sheriff. He's supposed to be on his side. He's supposed to protect him from danger, not send crazy psychopaths after him. Sheriff Valenti can't really undo the past, though. He just tells them to go, that they were never there. And, well, this isn't very good either, covering up a shooting. But at least he's a cop, and if this guy had a weapon, they can say he went nuts. And now they have the truth about his wife and unborn child. Because that was her surprise. She was pregnant. But he never got to know. They only found out in the autopsy. It was a little girl. And I understand how traumatic that would be. But now you're going to go and kill other people's children? Not cool, man. Not cool. And that's our final scene. As Max and Michael are walking away, they realize that, yeah, Hubble probably did have contact with an alien. He probably met Nisato. But this guy has killed a lot of people. So do they really, really want to get to know him? Do they really want to find him? And the final shot is zooming back at this deserted diner restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Valenti is calling in this shooting. You see Hubble on the ground. I don't know if he's still alive. Valenti checks for a pulse, but you don't really get an answer to that. And so it ends on this down note. They're not excited to find out about their history. They've got a bit of a truce with Valenti. But Valenti, I think... As much as he realizes he was going about this investigation wrong, I think he's more convinced than ever that aliens actually do exist. And maybe Max isn't a bad guy like this killer. But we haven't seen the last of that conflict. Anyways, I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. I love the guest appearance. I love the comedy of the con. I love the serious aspect of Sheriff Valenti trusting his dad and trying to pick the right side. But I think I can't help but think about the next episode. It is one of my all-time favorites, so I know I'm going to have a ton, a ton, a ton to talk about next week. But if you have any thoughts about this episode or anyone's coming up, 
email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com and maybe we can have a great conversation about it. That about wraps things up. Until next time, guys.